Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, Donald Patton and Barry Riley reflect on research findings from the Ballyhays farm, which inform optimum stocking rate and grazing days for difficult land types. And Barry first explained the level of grass production. Basically, if we continue to spread 250 kilos of N over the last 10 years, we, we would be growing 14 tonnes. Um, sometimes it's 15, sometimes it's 16, sometimes it's slightly less than the 14. But on average, it's Ballyhays is capable of growing roughly 14 tonne of grass. Um, however, we stick to kind of our, our principles in the back end. On the 1st of December, we need to have a farm cover of 750. Some years that means we're housed, you know, late October. Some years it means we're housed mid-November. It just it depends on the on the year itself. Um, we generally start to calve between the 10th and 20th of February, and we need to have a farm cover of somewhere between 900 to 1,000. And we're basically out full time from the get-go. Um, this year, for example, we missed, I think it was four grazings this spring, but there's, you know, most springs, most February nearly every year is is on off grazing the whole way through. And you usually have five to 10 days on nights housed due to weather. Um, like there's rarely any grass not grazed by the sort of 15th of April. Usually you're scratching your head here on the 10th of April saying, you know, where am I going next? Um, so yeah, we've we've no problem getting through area. It's just making sure we have the grass there in the springtime and making sure we have it in the right places. Um, and when you talk about on-off grazing in the month of February, you know, is, is that totally necessary, Barry? Is it a measure of reducing damage, or what is the thought process behind that? Yeah, I suppose it's it's a measure of, of reducing damage. Um, there's some areas on the farm where you wouldn't do damage. Um, ground conditions is very good but there's there's some areas in the farm that you won't get to, that we carry no grass on to make sure that we don't you know have to go there as such um because it's it's generally on the water but yeah it's it's more a measure of of not doing any damage i suppose and to you donald to drill into some of those figures um you know that the 14 tons of grass grown it's a huge number and uh, as barry says that is the kind of rolling average you know there is a range within that from year to year and, and i suppose hugely dependent on on the prevailing weather conditions but across the year what sort of uh production profile do you observe yeah, well, sure, look, and I suppose it'd be fairly well publicised at this stage, you know, if you compare us to the Park growth curve, um, Louise, it is different uh, in terms of particularly at the shoulders. So it's slower to get going in the spring um, and tails off quicker in the back end. And we have to change some of what we're doing. The, the basic idea and principle is exactly the same, but we have to alter it uh, a little bit. So I suppose, look, the first thing is that... Um, magic day or when do we sort of get above 40 kilos and if you look back over we have as barry said there we have 15 years of 40 walks a year so we have very good grass growth data right across the year um and if you look at the average and you're you're the 15 20th of april before you get 40 kilo above 40 kilos growth rate consistently so in other words you know we don't want really to um, finish first rotation before the 10th of April and in the years when we did and we have done it 
uh, you generally end up chasing your tail for two rotations after. So it's in and around that 10th to the 15th of April is kind of where we aim and we'll get there. And if we have to feed at that point, we'll we'll feed to stretch it further. And um, the other interesting thing, and you know, when you go back and you look at these growth curves, there's there's great um, information in them. And I'd encourage people who've been measuring for a period of time to actually go back and look at their own figures. But it's usually late May before we hit above 80 consistently. Now, some years, again, it, it might happen a week late, earlier or a week later, but generally speaking, it's sort of 20th, 25th of May. So because of that, we don't push our milking platform stocking rate above that sort of 3.8 level at that period of time. So we don't kind of go um, magic day and then boom, close up a pile of ground for silage. We'll close up enough, which is usually around that 25, 30% of our area will close up for silage. Um, and then when we hit that sort of 80s growth, we can uh, we can push stocking rate up to four, possibly four and a half for short periods of time, but but they're about. So um, it's it's not going from the whole farm being open to going to four and a half straight away. It kind of happens in in stages. We'll we'll push it up to three point eight, and then at that point we um, we go to four and a half once the growth rate comes. And it's interesting, Donald, because you know I have my say. Uh, south of the country hat on here and you know we don't necessarily have that challenge but uh, you know y- you've gone through the steps of getting from you know the the milking platform stocking rate of three and you will you know incrementally rise that to four and a half based on the increase in grass growth but um you know that the challenge uh, in my mind is is utilization um and particularly in in relation to graze grass for your system you know uh very comfortable at high stocking rates mid season but obviously that leaves you with a big hole at the shoulders of the year so i guess you know where is the optimum stocking rate from you know a feed supply perspective for a farm with a profile of growth like Ballyhays? Yeah, well, look, at we've looked at a wide range of different stocking rates over the years from two to four and a half uh, milking platform stocking rates and everywhere in between. And I suppose in my head, when you do the sums on it at, at 14 tonnes, really regardless of where you are in the country, 2.3, 2.4 cows per hectare is kind of the, the stocking rate. If, you know, five and a half tons per cow. If you're aiming for cows doing up on 500 kilos of solids, it's somewhere in that region. So that's whole farm stocking rate. Now on the milking platform, look at, and we'd be the same here, three cows to the hectare is comfortable. Now you're going to need outside land to support that, but three cows to the hectare is comfortable. There's some guys up at three and a half. Uh, they need to be really on their game. Um, above three and a half, no matter what you do, is a more difficult system to manage. And when, once you push up to four cows on the milking platform, it's it's a whole different ball game altogether. So I would sort of say for us here, that's where we're aiming. Two point three whole farm, uh, and that's given a little bit of scope. As in, you know, we might make a bit more than what we need silage terms one year, but we we might use a bit more of it the next year. So two point three in my mind is comfortable. But but milking platform, there's no problem going up to, to three. And then during the summertime, there's no problem, you know, when we get the growth rates pushing that up to four, four and a half for periods of time. And that figure that you mentioned, milking platform of three cows per hectare, you know, wh- where is that in relation to the region's average? 
Yeah, um, it's probably not far off, but you will get, um, you will, I'd say the region average is probably slightly lower than that. And the region average whole farm is is definitely low. It's probably down at two cows to the hectare or thereabouts, two or 2.1. Um, but then you get individuals who are stocked, as I say, at three and a half, four, four and a half, up to five, you know what I mean? So there's quite a, there's quite a range there. But look, I would find, um, you know, once you get up above 3.5, Essentially, you don't have your silage ground to graze, and it means long periods of housing. You know, you're going to be in at night. We 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 actually ran a trial here years ago, at four and a half, and she didn't get out at night until almost the second round. And you know, by mid October, maybe early October, we were back in at night. So it was a very very long housing period, which wouldn't really appeal to me. But you know, some people are doing it. In that situation, I suppose the key thing is silage quality. Um, if you're doing that, you have to really, really, really good silage quality for them periods. Over the years, it's, it's in and around 1.4 ton dry matter at the stocking rates we're talking about that, that you know, we need per cow. Um, and uh, as a, a rough rule at home, half of that needs to be, you know, 70 DMD, well-preserved, dry if possible silage that will maintain cows and avoid problems at calving. But half of it needs to be above mid seventies DMD, you know, higher protein. So basically, milk and cow feed. So um, it's it's a thing that I suppose, in terms of cutting dates, you know, twenty fifth of May to you know late May, your dry cow silage you can cut late May. If you're aiming for milk and cow silage, you probably need to be going a couple of weeks before that, and that's something that we could do with improving on a little bit um, is is uh, making that more uh, streamlined, that process more streamlined. But we do need to have that uh, good quality silage because we're not only feeding it to stale cows in the back end, we're also feeding it to fresh cows at times in the spring. Barry, from the figures that you mentioned to us, you're getting cows out from mid-February and, you know, by and large out until the 1st of November. So that's in and around 265 to 270 days at grass. Uh, and, and, you know, that's a fairly simple figure. But if we look at cow grazing days, so the number of days each cow is at grass on average, what sort of number are you achieving there? Yeah, so over the past four years, that figure for us would be around 235 cow grazing days. Again, I know it's, it accumulates to 270 calendar days as such. The easiest way I can explain it is if we have 60% of the herd calved by the 5th of March and that 60% of the herd is out grazing, well, that's 0.6 of a grazing day. So the 235 cow grazing days, it accounts for grazing's missed um, due to weather or grass shortages or whatever, but it also includes calving pattern as well. So it's roughly 30 days more than the average farmer would be achieving in this region which also has an effect on resulting in more grass utilised through grazing, higher solid percentages, um, less silage and concentrate being fed, but also having no effect on you know, grass growing or soil structure or damage being done as such. It's an interesting one. And, and to you, Donal, you know, um, not, not showing your age, but, you know, you've seen Ballyhays evolve like almost over a 20 year period. Um, that 235 cow grazing days or 270 days at grass, whichever way you look at it, you know, has that always been the case? And, and you know, how much have you pushed the boundaries on that over the years? 
Yeah, well, look, at I suppose uh, we would have been from fairly early on, we were trying to push that. And, and it's an interesting one, you know, when you look at it calendar days wise, it's 270 days. But when you, as Barry said, account for days missed and calf and pattern, it's 235. But, but in any case, you know, it's a good long grazing season. Uh, we actually did a four year trial looking at that in and of itself um, from 2017 to 2020. And I suppose it was interesting in that, you know, majority of farmers in the locality when they come in and see maybe what we're doing in February, March in terms of grazing, they would find it a bit unpalatable. Uh, they would think that we're doing damage. Um, and we did fairly detailed soil um, soil structure analysis. And look, at we've had we it had no uh, negative impacts from the soil structure point of view. And also grass grown, we grew the same amount of grass across all treatments. So look, at it's we, we have pushed it, I suppose, over the years. Um, maybe the question is, can we do do more on that? And myself and Barry was just chatting about that. It, probably the focus over the next number of years is to make it easier to do it. So if you look at the difference between ourselves and the average um, of the region, it's 30 days, as Barry said. 80, 90% of that is on-off grazing. So we have to make on-off grazing easier to do both here and at farm level as well. So for ourselves, look at facilities around, you know, making the sheds easy to divide up and split up in the spring, you know, simple stuff like that. For us, probably the big one is is um, is an underpass, which is a big project, but we'd like to do that sometime in the future because we're crossing roads to around about 40% of our grazing block now. And crossing roads, particularly on off grazing at night um, or in the evening times, we do milk early in the evenings, but the lads could be bringing cows in at eight, half eight in the evening. You know, it's uh, it's difficult when you're crossing roads, as anyone who's doing that kind of knows. So to me, the focus, look, at we can always maybe improve bits and pieces around uh, infrastructure, roadways, all that sort of stuff. It's about making it easier rather than are we going to get any more days than that. The limitation on getting more days is really uh, growing the grass and Louise, which is probably driven predominantly by the, the, the soil type or the, the soil temperature. So I would, as I would see it, it's making it easier rather than we're probably not going to get that many more days than that. It's an interesting comment about the, I suppose, the perception of a farmer who's coming in to look at the grazing in Ballyhays in the months of February and March when they're not necessarily used to it. And um, we actually, you know, it's interesting, I recall a conversation we had, I would say, back in 2019 um, with a farmer who's not a million miles away from ye um, in Roscommon, Ed Payne. And he said it's hard work for him, but not for the cows. It's, you know, he has to go and put up the fence, even if it's raining. But the cows actually take no notice and it is their the environment they want to be in as opposed to be indoors. Um, you know, talk actually through the indoor piece, Donald. Say if cows are are on off grazing or they're milking, um, they're milking while indoors. Like, you know, how many days would that account for in the year? Yeah, well, sure. Look at that. I suppose when you look at the housing part of it, you know, we're, we're grazing focused, we're grass focused, you know, we want to get as much as we can out of grass. But at the same time, you know, there's the period of time from mid-October to mid-April, at any point in that time, we could need uh, accommodations and sheds. So as I kind of explain it to people, there's four months of that where cows are in full time on, you know, predominantly dry cows, but uh, milking cows toward the back end in full time on silage and meal. And then there's sort of a month and a half, two months where 
okay, we're getting to grass, we're getting to grazed grass, but we need a cubicle and we need slurry storage. We may not need the feed barrier, but we need the cubicle and slurry storage. So it's almost half the year that we need facilities. So look, at it doesn't have to be fancy, but we need to have you know a cubicle per cow and we need to have sufficient slurry storage because as Barry said, look, at over the years, from early or from mid-February when we turn cows out milking um, to usually it could be the 10th, it could be the 20th of March, the cows are actually coming back to cubicles to lay down most nights and some of the days. So, you know, when you count that up and then probably from, it can happen as well in September, it could happen in October and it can happen in November where you'll be on off grazing for periods. It's not in the autumn time, it may happen for three or four days and then you're back going again. But definitely in the spring, it's pretty much every night they're coming back in after the three hours. Uh, and like Barry made the point earlier on, we have parts of the farm that's actually quite good land. We've more difficult parts. We kind of find that, that when you're set up in the routine of bringing them in at nice, particularly in that early spring, it's actually easier to keep it going at nice. If the conditions are good during the day, yes, we can leave them out and you can make that call when you're there, but it's actually easier to just bring them in at night, generally speaking, because if you get a wet night, you know, it can be a mess in the morning. So we do need, it doesn't have to be fancy facilities, but we need the cubicle, we need the storage storage and we need the feed space for that period of time. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I do think, um, you know, we think about the dry period and we say, you know, cows are in while they're dry. But in reality now, we are pushing calving rates and we and in some cases pushing stocking rate and we are supplementing in the spring and the autumn or we are simply engaging in on-off grazing and as you say the cow needs a bed for the night uh, on a cubicle and and the slurry storage so it's, it's probably something for us to reflect on based on the conversation we've had you know it's it's, it's not limited to the the region that you're operating in in Ballyhays it is a, across the country and and you know the the key things you mentioned there um, I suppose within the farmyard or cubicle slurry storage and, and in some incidents the, the feed barrier thank you Barry thank you Donald thank you that's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast and my thanks to Barry Riley and Donald Patton for joining me on this week's show don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast you can listen on Apple and Google podcasts as well as Spotify and for more information go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.